of how God encouraged them and um, set them on course for him. So um, it's good. So we are uh, actually getting ready for this Easter season by going through a series um, called The Supremacy of Christ. Okay, getting ready to um, actually not only celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection, but also in at least some um, uh, periphery way, uh, participating in the season of Lent, um, which is a season of uh, consecration, which is a season of um, sacrifice, which is a season of uh, reorienting our uh, perspective around God. It's a season, if any of you uh, grew up in a denominational church. It's uh, a season where people really set aside uh, the normal things, come to repentance, and even have um, a sense of penance. But we're going to redefine that today um, to define it biblically uh, for people. But um, we're preparing our hearts for the celebration of the work of Jesus Christ. And so, um, with that in mind, today we're um, going to continue in the book of Colossians uh, that we've been going through. And the book of Colossians is actually a great book to set us up for the supremacy of Christ because it talks all about Jesus, his finished work, and um, what he actually accomplished for us on the cross and how we're to live accordingly because of that. And so um, today we're going to uh, actually, if you have a Bible, open up today to uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and then we're going to go through Colossians 2, um, verse 5. That's going to get us started today. But... I wanted to say that um, what we're doing is we're trying to actually like even get to a place where Christ is our all in all. What we do in worship is we come to a place where we once again magnify him and we magnify God for who he is. And what happens is, is that in our hearts, it's not that God himself changes in his nature. God himself changes in his character. God himself changes in any expression of his love towards people. But what happens in worship is not only do we give him what he's due, but it re- once again reorients us to who he is and the greatness and the grandeur of who he is. And what we do in worship is we also prepare our hearts to receive the truth of the word of God, which actually reestablishes us in um, the truth. And the result of it is, is that we walk out in the strength of God. And so in today's message, what we're going to do is actually, hopefully actually deposit something inside of you that allows you to live in the strength of Christ. The supremacy of Christ is based in his nature, his character, his finished work, but the resultant, um, um, the resultant effect is that in the life of a believer, you're able to actually walk in strength. And that's good news for anybody who's ever tried to live a Christian life. Is that not true? It's sort of like, yes, we talk about um, when we're weak, he's strong, but the end result is is that we get to walk in his strength, right? If you've ever um, felt um, weak before in Jesus, if you've ever tried to live for Jesus and felt weak in the process, that is okay. You're in good company because anybody who's not Jesus will feel weak sometimes. Matter of fact, Jesus... Jesus himself felt weak before he went to the cross, right? And the thing about it is by the spirit of God, he was also strengthened to continue in obedience to his father to the very end, which cost him his life. But it was also a resurrection power that he lives in now after his death and his sacrifice on the cross. And in the same way, there is, there is a dance, there is a marriage, there is um, a, a sort of an interaction that takes place with any believer who's actually 
walking in the um, life of God and the purposes of God, but we've got to have faith to rise to that level, right? That we're not always actually on the defensive, but we can actually go on the offensive. That we're not always in a place where we're um, getting beaten up and just depending on the mercy of God, but that we'd actually be able to um, receive the grace of God and the grace of God empowers us to do things, right? The grace of God empowers us to to say things like no to ungodliness in this present age, right? As we wait for his appearing, the grace of God strengthens us to even approach the throne of God because all of a sudden we know that we're welcome there because of what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to be like mia copa, mia copa, always beating ourselves, talking about what a worm we are. God is inviting us in and is strengthening us as his children. And it's actually good news. This season of Lent is actually to be a strengthening time and not a time where you're actually trying to relate to this, um, like as, as if you're the scum of the earth, but instead focusing on Christ, focusing on his goodness and therefore focusing on the strength that he releases to the believer. Okay. So Colossians, just in case you um, are unfamiliar with the book, it's one of the letters of the new Testament. It's um, one of the letters that um, Paul, the apostle was writing to the churches that had been established um, during his ministry, but it wasn't actually established by his ministry. It was established by another man named Epaphras. Epaphras was, um, 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 many scholars think, um, reached during Paul's ministry, but then Epaphras took the gospel that was implanted in him. And then even as Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give, right? He did that very thing. He received from the Lord, the word of God, the good news of Christ, and then he freely gave. And he went to this other city, Colossae, and began to preach the good news of Christ. And as the good news of Christ was being preached, people were coming to the Lord. That's the result, right? The gospel's preached. Some people um, receive it. Some people don't. But the good news is, is that people are born again. People are made right with God and they're starting to walk with him. And so Paul is writing now during um, his Roman imprisonment. And many scholars think he was writing around the year 60 AD. And um, during this time, even though he was imprisoned, he was still full of the life of God, full of the hope of God, full of the grace of God. And he was writing to the church and saying, this is how you live in strength. And how many people know that when you see someone else suffering, but still living in strength, that encourages you, right? And so all of a sudden you see Paul in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his imprisonment, and why he was in prison was for nothing less than preaching the gospel. In the Roman Empire, when there was was, um, a group of... um, um, people that were um, otherwise known as pagan and he was preaching in the midst of the pagan empire and they did not like him um, declaring that Jesus himself was to be the only king of all the earth no matter what background no matter what um, upbringing you had and they resulted um, in um, persecuting Paul and um, putting him in prison but still here he's full of the grace of God and begins to encourage the church how do you live in strength how do you live in the supremacy of Christ even in the midst of suffering so let's start in verse 24 He says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which was another city where the gospel had spread. So Paul's talking about the struggle that he has in preaching the gospels, proclaiming the good news, even in the midst of persecution, even so much so that it results in his imprisonment. He said, I have a struggle for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. That's part of why we come together, right? We encourage one another. The Bible exhorts us to encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that nobody might be hardened or dissuaded by sin's deceitfulness, right? 
He says that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. People trying to figure out what life's about. People trying to figure out what their purpose in life is. He's saying, hey, it's in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge are found in the person of Christ. God himself, the creator, expressing himself through his son. And he's saying, hey, listen, if you want to know the purpose of life, if you want to know the trajectory you should be on, look to this son of God. Look to the one who was crucified and rose again and is the embodiment of satisfied life, of fulfilled life. He says it's hidden in him. He say, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There are many arguments floating around as to why there's a better way or why there's substitutes for Christ in his fullness. But he says, don't be dissuaded by them. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We talked about that. For this I toil, I'm sorry, toil, need my glasses, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so all of a sudden we see very specifically that these are, this is one of the sections of passages. We went from um, um, chapter 124 through 2 verses, um, verse 5. And the reason we did that is that originally when you would see the epistles being written, I don't know if um, many of you have a background in um, Bible study, but the gospels and their letters weren't originally written with chapter and verse. Everybody know that, okay? It was a letter, one letter that was written to the church and it was a continued train of thought. And in this train of thought, what we see is we get to a um, passage where it's like a lot of times if you've read this, it's easy to glaze over this or skip over it because he uses language or he uses phrases or he uses um, um, sort of um, um, ideas that are sort of like, unless you really meditate on it, pray about it and think about it, right? It could sort of like fly over your head. Has that ever happened in this place before? Especially when you're reading a letter that has so much meat in other places, so much meat that's directly applied in other places, like we're eventually going to get to Colossians chapter three, that gives exact sort of direct commands about how to live as a Christian. And it's easy to see those things and say, okay, I need to put off anger, right? Okay. Got that. Easy to read, easy to apply, or I need to, you know, set my mind on things above. Okay. Easy to read, easy to apply. Right. But things like this, we can look over and miss the power and the strength that God wants to release to his people by faith. If we don't dive into the word and unpack it a little bit. Okay. And so today, 
today what we want to do is in this set of scripture, we want to actually see two um, phrases that are very important for God strengthening his church. And every time you come together and worship, these are things that should be washing over our minds and hearts, washing over our faith and empowering us to live differently in this world. And then as you're living differently, encourage others with encourage others with that. Listen, if you are a believer, if Christ has made himself known to you, this is how you live in the strength of his resurrection. This is how you live in the strength of his forgiveness. This is how you live in the strength of all that he's done for you because Christ, in fact, is supreme. So let's look at two of those phrases. First of all, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What, in fact, does that mean? I'm going to try to break it down so that you can remember it in three small phrases, okay? Three small phrases. They're all P's and that's just for your memory, uh, memory's sake, but it will help um, you understand what he's talking about when he says this is the mystery that God has had for ages past and it's hidden, but now revealed. It was hidden, but now it's revealed in the person of Christ. So if God's glory is found in the believer, but it's because of Christ, here's where it starts. That if anybody is coming to Christ, they need to be made a new creation in him, right? It's not enough that we grow in the knowledge of God, but through our repentance and faith in Christ, what God does is he gives you a gift. And it's the greatest gift that he can give anybody. And it's the person of the Holy Spirit who comes and makes a home in the believer and transforms them, right? What was once dead comes alive again. We used to be the living dead, the walking dead. Anybody watch that TV show? I, I, okay, right. I haven't yet, but I heard that it's popular. But the thing is, it's not like, we're like the walking dead, like zombies going around, right? And though we are living and breathing, there's death inside of us. And it's because of the sin that controls our life. It's because of the rebellion that controls our life. It's like, we don't want to have the attitudes that we have, but we have them anyway. Anybody ever feel that way? It's sort of like, you don't want to respond the way that you do to things, but there's a sinful nature that dominates people before Christ himself comes to make a home in them. And so all of a sudden you see people coming from lifestyles of sexual morality, drunkenness, all types of thievery, lying, and it's just habitual all the time. Why? Because Jesus said... Anyone who sins or lives in a way contrary to God's law is a slave to sin. But the gospel says, listen, if anyone chooses to obey my teaching, chooses to obey my teaching, you hear the word, faith is sparked, and then you choose to obey my teaching, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. And truth is not just a concept, it's not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it's personified in the person of Christ. It's personified in the person of Christ. So all of a sudden, when God, if you can imagine this, comes and makes an invitation to you to repent of your sin. Matter of fact, um, what I'm saying as an invitation is, in fact, a command from God to turn away from your sin. He said, I command you to repent. I command you to turn away from all the things that stand opposed to me and actually come into right relationship with me, which is a word that we use as reconciliation, right? Being brought back into friendship with God. It's the ministry of reconciliation that the gospel proclaims, right? We were once enemies of God, but we are reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. And what happens is he says, I'm coming... Not only to wash you by my blood, but then I'm coming to make a home in you 
by the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, Christ in you, right? Because he's Trinitarian, right? God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, God in you begins to come alive, and then he's the hope of glory for you. Well, what does that hope of glory provide for you? Well, the hope of glory starts with what I've already said. Number one, it's the hope of, the first P is pardon. The hope of pardon. Glory basically means honor. Glory basically means um, um, something where you're able to walk in something that's lauded or, um, or excellent or praiseworthy. And he's saying that basically we all have carried around guilt for different things that we've done, whether high or low, right? Whether big or small in our sight, we've all carried around baggage before. And the first thing of Christ coming inside of us and making us new by his spirit is he says, I'm giving you the hope of pardon from past mistakes, which is the forgiveness of sins, right? We talk about that almost every week, over and over again. God has got good news for you, pardon from sin. Isn't that good news, right? Never gets old. Never gets old. But number two, when we think about Christ in us, the hope of glory, we don't think about a lot of times the freedom that he's actually provided for us from those sins, right? We have, first of all, embraced the pardon of sins as Christ in us, the hope of glory, but also number two, the hope of power over sin to break its cycle in our lives is part of Christ being in you, the hope of glory. What that means is that you don't have to live the way you used to. Do you know that that actually takes faith? It actually takes trust in the power of God, that God is stronger, not only is he greater than my sin, than the effects of it or the punishment that I deserve because of it, right? We sing about that in our songs, God's grace, 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 God's grace. Anybody remember that song? Grace that is greater than all my sin, right? We sing that, but a lot of times we're only referring to the pardon of our sin, but we don't relate to the power of sin in our life. Power actually means that it has a stranglehold on people who are still living under it. But Christ in us, the hope of glory, means that we can actually be free. We can actually be free and live differently because there's somebody inside of us that's flexing, right? If we go back to like the whole Marvel example, I love the Incredible Hulk. I don't like how they presented it. You know what I mean? Edward Norton was my favorite. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, right, it's sort of like, you you know, you won't like me when I'm angry. Well, you won't, devil, you won't like me when I actually realize that Christ is living in me, right? All of a sudden, I'm free in such a way that Christ himself can flex and Christ himself can live in me because what? As Galatians says, I'm dying daily, right? It's part of the Christian life that I die so that he might live. I decrease so that he might increase. We're going to get to how that happens and talk to, um, um, talk about how he says we get to that place. But the point is, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, I no longer live, right? But Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live through faith, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Part of Christ in me, the hope of glory, is that somebody is imputing and imparting strength to me so that I could live differently than I once did when I was a slave. That Jesus himself, sinless lamb of God, can actually begin to express himself through my life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not that good news? That's strength, Right? That's not weakness, that's strength. Christ in you. 
Christ in you. It doesn't mean you are God, but it means he's living in you. Isn't that good news? That's a reality that Christians need to embrace. You are not divine, but you have the divine living in you. In that, does that blow anybody's mind? The one who spoke the universe into existence and said, let there be light. And then boom, there was light. And then even secular scientists today are still acknowledging the fact that the universe, as we know it, the material universe is expanding at the speed of light. Why? Because he spoke it into existence, never said stop, and his power is still flexing. The inexhaustible God. That's the one who said, I'm coming to make a home in you. Now, how does that speak of weakness at all? It doesn't to me. It lets me know that if I can just get out of the way, then somebody's going to be strong around here. And it's going to be him, right? It's going to be him. That same God that lived in the Apostle Paul, the same Holy Spirit that came upon, you know, the disciples as they were going around the known world and preaching with boldness this um, gospel that could set people free. It's the same Spirit of God that lives in you. And it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus himself from the dead. Do you ever think about that? It's the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead materially, right? You see, we're not just talking, the the resurrection was not esoteric. It was not conceptual. It was a bodily resurrection. And because it was a bodily resurrection, it took some deutimous power, right? To actually take what was lifeless and physically raise it to life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that he said now resides in you as a believer, it's not just Christ in you, the hope of glory to pardon you from your sins. It's the hope of Christ in you, the hope of glory to give you power over sin and to break its cycle. But number three, it's also the expectation, the expectation of the last P perfection, perfection in Christ where you can forever live free and in righteousness. You see, whenever Jesus makes his return, right? I'm not talking about the present here and now. We're always going to be sanctified is what the Bible talks about, right? Sanctified means we're being conformed into the image of Jesus. But there's coming a day where there's going to be perfection, where he's saying, I'm getting rid of sin. I'm doing away with it so that people might actually live free forever. Isn't that good news? that the struggle eventually ends. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to a day when the struggle actually ends. And the struggle is ended in the perfecting work of Christ when he actually transforms us in an instant into his image, right? Where he says there's no more sin, no more death, no more disease. That's good news, isn't it? Where he says the old order of things has passed away. And he said, behold, I'm making all things, not some things, all things new. All things new. The hope of Christ. Why do, I, why do we have such good <clears throat> expectation that like Christ in me, the hope of glory is coming? It's because of him that we have this expectation. 
It's because of him that the resurrected king lives inside of us that we can look forward to the day when perfection actually comes. And anybody who has the spirit of Christ in them has this hope. But in the meantime, what do we do? Well, I know that uh, during this Lenten season, a lot of people um, think about uh, penance. And penance was sort of like a religious term back in the day where they were thinking about sort of like beating themselves and making um, themselves sorry and having visible external expressions for their wrongdoing before God in preparation of receiving all the good that he's done. But let me tell you, that's not what the Bible says to do, okay? Penance is more so thought about in the idea of, it's what the Catholic Church calls it, the sacrament of reconciliation, but it's more clearly defined biblically as restitution, okay? Restitution. If we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, what does that mean? A lot of times in this generation, we like to be forgiven or pardoned of things and just forget about it and like brush it under the rug, right? Anybody ever do that before? It's sort of like you did something you shouldn't have. Okay, let me give you a personal example. So anybody ever blow up at someone before and you shouldn't have? Meaning like you had a wrong response and it was sort of like, you know, And then like, you know, what are the, like those Snickers commercials, right? <laughs> when they have like some like cranky actor, you know what I mean? And, they're, and then they eat a Snickers and then they're like, oh, okay. And then they turn into the handsome or beautiful white person they're supposed to be. Yeah, I've had a lot of those moments, okay? <laughs> you know, eat a Snickers, but you know, my Snicker was prayer. And so the thing about it is, is, is that what happens is, is that people automatically want to cleanse themselves or clear themselves, but not look to Christ for that cleansing, right? They either want to ignore it or they don't want to um, actually deal with it, um, deal with it in such a way that it actually produces change in them. But actually, biblically, when you see about, um, talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory, what it produces in you is actually an outward sign of repentance because something has, in fact, changed when you ever realize what wrong you've done and Christ in the direction that he's actually taking you in. So, for instance, going back to my example, when I've blown up at people before, what I used to like to do is just say, get over it. Anybody ever say that before to somebody? Get over it. I thought we're past that. Let's stop talking about it. Stop rehashing it over and over again. And you may want to get past things, but they're still hurting, right? Anybody ever? Okay, nobody. All right. So the thing about it is, is that restitution is something different where basically you're actually making amends. You're not trying to put yourself in the place of being the means for forgiveness, but you're making amends for the wrong that you've committed. Okay, which means that if you have in this season um, of reflection and prayer, you're actually saying this has been a pattern in my life where I haven't lived in the power and the strength of God. I'm going to first repent of it turn away from it through a prayerful lifestyle, agreeing with the things that God himself said that he has accomplished and can accomplish in me. But then I'm also going to make restitution for it to actually seal the deal and close the door on it. Okay. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, like for instance, I talked to uh, men over and over again who um, are coming out of um, a lifestyle of pornography, right? And so all of a sudden they come to a place where it's like, I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. It's stealing from my marriage. It's stealing from my relationships. It's stealing even my libido, you know? And so all of a sudden they're saying, I'm coming to repentance in this way, but it's not just a mental thing. 
I'm actually going to actually have some action that combines with this heartfelt or mental idea that I have that Christ can actually live differently in me. And I'm going to do something different in my patterns and my habits. First of all, I'm going to, you know, maybe limit myself to like when I'm on the internet, right? And it's hard to at times because of this, right? You have a personal computer in your pocket, right? But then they're sort of saying, I'm going to discipline myself, you know, to only look at things, you know what I mean? When I'm in a public place, right? So that the things that I used to do in private, I don't do anymore because I have accountability there, right? There's something that comes out of them that actually is um, an outward uh, um, uh, expression of that penance. What all of these uh, sudden you see is that Christ in you, the hope of glory, produces a change in you so that you can live differently. Acts chapter 26, please write this down. Verses 19 and 20. This same Paul, prior to his imprisonment, was talking about it in this way. He was testifying to a man named King Agrippa. He was testifying to King Agrippa about what Christ had done in his death, burial, and resurrection and why he was going throughout the Roman world preaching the good news. And he said, listen, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I had a heavenly vision from God. And when you see Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you can live differently, that's a heavenly vision, is it not? It's something that you can actually, you can live different than the rest of the world. That, that's got to come from God because everybody's telling you this is just the way things are, Right? on every sitcom, on every you know I mean, uh, piece of media, on everything that you have. There are certain things that are presented to you as norms, but you have to have a heavenly vision to rise above them, which comes from Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Does this make sense? So he's saying, I have a he- had a heavenly vision and I was not obedient, um, disobedient to it, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region, region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent How do you come into Christ, the hope of glory in you? You repent, you change your mind. That's what it means, go in a different direction. You say, I'm done with this. I'm I'm renouncing this so that I might turn to something else. That they should repent and turn to God is what he said. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. But you do it, going back to the verse in Colossians, not in your own strength, but you do it with Christ energy which so powerfully works in you. Do you, do you see that? That's, that's a different thing. In Christ's energy that so powerfully works in you, what begins to happen is you're tapping into a source that's greater and even outside of yourself. Though he's living in you, it's not limited to you. Does this make sense? What's happening is, is that it's almost like any one of these lights that are plugged in right now in and of themselves, they have all of the potential to light up the room, Right? They have all of the potential to light up the room, but it's not until they plug it in that it's actually illuminating anything. In the same way, what God's going to give us in this next example of how you actually struggle with his energy that so powerfully works in you is he's going to show you how through his word. How do you actually plug in so that he begins to live through you and illuminate metaphorically the room? How do you, sorry, my mom's... Got another string text, family string text. Okay, so <laughs> you'll hear that a little bit. All right, let me put this up. All right, so, um, but she prays for you guys, so God bless mom. <laughs> she, like, how's the service? Oh, it's going great, mom. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. How do you actually struggle with Christ's energy that so powerfully works in you? Last well, set of scripture. In Romans 
in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. I love it because Paul, the same writer of Colossians, was um, talking to um, predominantly a Gentile um, church who did not necessarily have much exposure or background to the things of God, but he was educating them, saying, this is how you live a Christian life. This is how you live in the power that God has for you. And then in verse um, chapter 8, it's one of the most liberating uh, scriptures that we see. It's because he talks and starts in chapter 8 talking about the fact that there's now no more condemnation, right? Isn't that the good news of the gospel? There's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter where you started, even what you came in here to the worship service having done today. He says, if you repent and believe the good news, you can be washed. And he said, you can come under the truth that there's no condemnation for you. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death, okay? But he says, hey, listen, all these concepts that are like coming out to you that we don't really take the time to think about how to enact it in power. He said, this is how you live with Christ as um, living in you, the hope of glory. He says, starting in verse five, for there's a difference between those who live according to the spirit of God and those who live according to the flesh, Okay. Now, I'm going to break this um, down, hopefully, in a way that's understandable. It's sort of like when you are a person, you are made up of at least three components, okay? Three components. You have your sinful nature, you have your soul, and you have your spirit, right? When you're born again, God himself comes and unites himself with your spirit, makes you alive in Christ, Right? And all of a sudden, there's like a, 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 a spiritual marriage that takes place there. God himself, the Holy Spirit, resides in your spirit. But then there's the soul, which is basically your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind, will, and emotions, and it's the in-between ground, the battleground. Then you have your sinful nature, which is otherwise characterized in the Scripture as the flesh, which is trying to always pull you into the old way of life in which you lived, Right? Anybody ever wonder before, well, I've been walking with God for years now. Why is it that I'm still tempted to do certain things? Anybody ever asked that question before? Well, because it's there, there's this, you know, like not dichotomy, but there's this trifecta, right? That's going on now where it's like God himself lives inside of you and he doesn't come to live inside of you as a Christian and then disappear when you make a mistake. Everybody know that. Okay. He doesn't come and then go, come and then go. He says, I'm there and I'm there. Until I make my return, I'm there in you. Okay? But in the midst of that, there's also that sinful nature that the Bible says in this tense is being corrupted. An ongoing, imperfect tense, right? It's being corrupted. Every time you're exposed to the things of the world outside of you, do you have you ever walked into a place before and ever just felt defiled because of what was around you? It's the exposure to those things that is corrupting in an ongoing way the flesh that you still maintain. But the soul, right? So your flesh, it's not just talking about your outer appearance, which will change. You know what I mean? I um, just turned another year older and I was like, listen, I look different. And that's okay. (laughs) You know? But the thing is, is that my spirit man and my soul are still the same, right? Right? That's what's going to be eternal. Then what you see is that Paul's saying there's going to be, when you're a Christian, a battle between the spirit man or spirit woman and the flesh, right? And the middle ground, the militarized zone, is the soul, your mind, will, and emotions. 
And in the midst of that, you've got to learn how to let Christ in you, the hope of glory, through his strength, plug in and flex, but practically how, you, how do you do it? Is this making sense, everybody? Okay. He says, starting in verse 5, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, okay, according to their flesh, very practically, here's how it happens, set their minds on the things of the flesh, I wish it was more complicated than that, but there it is, <laughs> right? That's why Joyce Meyer, anybody ever like um, seen any Joyce uh, Meyer like material or reader books or anything like, okay. Anyway, remember she had this really popular one back in the day called the battlefield of the mind. Why? Because of this premise, because of this premise. It's like for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That means I'm thinking about why people have offended me. I'm thinking about why people don't need forgiveness. I'm thinking about, you know what I mean, um, all the things that are tempting to me and I just ponder them. And even though I don't do them outwardly, I'm thinking about them inwardly. And so as soon as I have opportunity to do them, usually it happens outwardly too, right? Why? Because my mind is set there. And so if I'm focusing on the things of the flesh, then ultimately it's going to express itself through me because what exists inside of me, just as much as the spirit of God is a sinful nature that wants to express itself. And so if I have my mind set on what it desires, I'm going to live in accordance with it. But everybody say, but he says, but those who live according to the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit of God who comes and lives inside of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Those who set their minds on what the spirit desires, <clears throat> on the things of the spirit, they live according to the spirit. Or in this version, ESV, sorry, I memorized it in NIV, but he says, who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And isn't that what we all want? Life and peace. Life and peace. He said, okay, that's fine. Conceptually, that's fine. But how do I get it? How do I get life and peace? It's all about where I'm setting my mind, right? All about where I'm setting my mind. And he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, here comes back to Christ in you, the hope of glory, the spirit of God dwells in you, lives is the word, lives in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's why they can't live according to the law of God because he doesn't live in them. The hope of glory, the hope of strength, the hope of living differently isn't empowering them. But if he's in them, then he, they have exactly what they need to live according to his ways. And so he's saying, listen, if you've been religious, let me tell you, just because you've showed up at church for years upon years doesn't mean you have the spirit of Christ living in you. You understand that? There are people who have actually gone through the motions year after year, but have never repented and believed the good news. And so they're trying to do it on their own and fail time after time. 
But God's like, listen, give it all up. Give it all up to me. Christ in you, the hope of glory will come and live inside of you. I'll make you new and empower you to live differently. I'll teach you how to set your mind, be self-controlled in your mind. Set your mind on just very simply, what does it look like? What does it look like to have your mind set on what he desires? I just ask myself the question. We can ask ourselves the question over and over again. Right? Remember the bracelet. WWJD, right? Remember it. It was good. What would Jesus do? (laughs) What would Jesus do, right? What would please him in this moment? How do you know that? Because you've been filling yourself with this word, right? Ecclesiastes says that clouds that are full of rain on water pour forth rain on the earth. Thank you, Confucius. What does that mean? It basically means what's in you is going to come out, right? It means if you're filling yourself with the word of God, it will come out. You will be able to access it in your time of need to think about what is it that's pleasing to God. I'm having my mindset on that, and therefore it's what's going to come out of me. I almost had road rage the other day, right? Anybody, come on, Chicago drivers, don't leave me alone up here. And it was because of the fact that my family was with me that I did not get out of the car. Isn't that true, CNN? Yeah, he was right. He was like, yeah. <laughs> B was like, Rollin, your family is with you. And I was like, true. I'm just telling you. Why? Because there was a sinful nature that wanted to rise up in me when I was like at a Wendy's line and like somebody was like talking about, come on! And I'm like, listen, dude, I've got a family of six. It takes a while to order. <laughs> right? And I wanted to get up, but what happened? B helped me externally in that moment to remember what in the world are you thinking? Number one, and number one, what would you, number two, what would Jesus do in this moment? How would you respond? How would he respond? And by setting my mind on what the spirit himself desired, I was able to release the pressure valve, right? I'm just getting real practical, right? And then she said, why are you so mad? And I was like, oh, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Why? Because that was a reality after I set my mind on what the spirit desired, not the immediate reaction, unfortunately, right? Because there's a tug of war there. It's what Galatians talks about, right? All right. Well, helps me. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, his righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and here it goes again, he who raised, he who raised, same one, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How? By setting your mind on what he desires. Very practically. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does he flex? By you plugging in, setting your mind on what he desires. And so all of a sudden, what we see, this is what we'll end with in this season of Lent. We can actually be inspired by something that St. Francis said, right? It was a prayer that he prayed continually. And he actually said this. Can we put that um, quote and that prayer up on the 
screen. Because Christ in me is the hope of glory. I can actually live differently. And I should pray things like this over and over again. He said, oh, divine master, talking to God, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Through Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen? All right, let's worship this King of glory. To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.